Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. And I do want to encourage you to check out our other podcast. Among those that I'm going to feature this week, uh, The Amazing World of Radio at amazing.greatdetectives.net. And over on that uh, podcast, uh, we do uh, some, podca- uh, some podcast episodes tied to holidays, and we also do themed miniseries. Uh, where uh, we'll uh, go for a certain number of episodes uh, exploring an actor or a particular uh, subject. Uh, uh, examples, we did the seven-part Les Miserables story with uh, Orson Welles. Uh, we also did a summer of Angela Lansbury and a summer of Humphrey Bogart, as well as the uh, spy series Top Secret. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, great uh, radio tributes to actors. Uh, you can check it out over at amazing.greatdetectives.net. Uh, then there's the Old Time Radio Superman podcast, the Public Domain Video Theater, the video version of this podcast over at videotheater.greatdetectives.net. If you're interested in an in-depth look at World War II over radio, check out uh, The War, thewar.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of The Fat Man. The original air date is December the 2nd, 1954, and the title is Murder Calls the Undertaker. There he goes into that drugstore. He's stepping on the scales. Weight, 239 pounds. Fortune, danger. Who is it? The Fat Man. Now, here's the fat man in Murder Calls the Undertaker. I was sitting in my office hoping nothing had happened. It was a warm, lazy morning, and I didn't feel like working. A soft breeze blew through the window. I lit a cigarette, leaned back in the chair, and began to look over the mail. Indian summer. The kind of a day meant for picnics, a ball game, and a tall glass of something cool. But someone else thought it was a day for the perfect murder. Runyon speaking. Mr. Runyon, I've got to see you immediately. They're, they're going to kill me. Okay, okay, take it easy. Who's trying to kill you and who are you? Hernley's my name, Joshua Hernley. Uh, 1032 Fairview Avenue. There isn't time to explain. I tell you, they're after me. Now, cool off, Hernley. Start at the beginning. What do you mean someone's trying to kill you? Just what I say. Can you protect me? I need protection. That's my business. But I have to know what I'm supposed to protect you against. Against? Uh, uh, wait a minute. How much will it charge? I'm a reasonable man. I'll pay, but mind you, I, I won't pay too much. Listen, Hernley. If someone's trying to kill you, don't you think it's a little ridiculous to be talking price? I'm not a fool. I save my money. 
That's why they want to kill me. They're trying to steal my money. You want me to protect you and your money, eh? I think you're crazy, Hernley. Go bother someone else. Hey, don't be hasty, Mr. Runyon. I- I'll pay. Yeah, I know. You've got money. Will you take the case? I don't know. You've got to. They won't... Hernley! Hello! Hello! Traffic was heavy, and it took me almost an hour to get to Hernley's house. It was an old-fashioned American Gothic near the edge of what used to be an exclusive residential district. Dirty shutters covered even dirtier windows. Ugly little tufts of scrib grass dotted the neglected grounds. The porch sagged under my weight. I rang the doorbell, waited. Nobody answered. I tried the door. It was unlocked. I walked through the living room and shouted a couple of times. All I disturbed was the quiet. I went upstairs and opened the door of a bedroom. Then I saw him. His body was slumped in the chair over by the window, an empty whiskey bottle in his right hand, and a clean, round little bullet hole in his throat. A dark patch of blood had soaked into the carpet, and there were cigarette ashes where a tray had been knocked over. Nothing else. I started down the stairs... All right. Put down that gun. What? Who are you? Skip it. What are you doing here? I just killed a man. Who are you? Dr. Paul Walters. I'm Hernley's personal physician. I was on my way to see him when... When what? When I saw this man shoot through the window. What do you mean, this man? What man? The man in the back of the house. He, he saw me and started to run. I chased him and he hid in the, in the garage. Yeah? He, he pulled his gun and I shot first. And killed him? Is a gun standard equipment for a doctor? I always carry a gun. Some of my patients live far out of town. Hernley doesn't. Hernley isn't my only patient. Okay. Let's look at this guy. Have you ever seen him before? Well, no, I haven't, Mr. Uh, what did you say your name was? I didn't. However, it's Runyon. Runyon. Well, here he is. He was trying to kill her. You said that before. You don't think I'm lying? I don't think anything yet. Until I go over his body. Well, I'll help you. Never mind. You've done enough already. Yeah. Yeah. Wallet. Yeah. Card. Hundred dollars in cash. A ticket for speeding made out to Ben Linkman, 90 River Street. Section of town. Yeah, shoulder holster. 38 revolver. Five shots left. Only took one to kill Hernley. Hernley is, is he dead? Yeah. This guy must have got him. I'm going to have another look at Hernley's room. Come on, Walters. You're sticking with me. I certainly am. I want to find out what you're doing here. You will. But for the time being, I'll ask the questions. Have you... Have you called the police? Not yet. After you, Dr. Walters. Thank you. The body's upstairs. Oh, poor Mrs. Hernley. Mrs. Hernley? Where is she? Why, uh... Why, I don't know. This would be a terrible shock to her. Yeah. 
Here we are. He's in here. What? But that isn't... Isn't what? It isn't Herndy. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. You think I don't know my own patient? Well, and who is this guy? I don't know. Never saw him before. Now listen, Walters. You've got some explaining to do. Two people have been killed. One in self-defense, you say. It was in self-defense. Now look here, Runyon. Before I answer any more of your questions, you've got a little explaining to do yourself. I'm a detective. A detective? Yeah. Brad Runyon, the fat man. But, but what are you doing here? Hernley sent for me. What for? He said something about needing protection. Protection? Against what? Maybe you can tell me that. Well, I don't know. He's rather eccentric, especially when it comes to money. Yeah? What about his money? Hernley has always been afraid someone was going to steal it. I suppose you know he's very wealthy. No, I didn't. Well, that's possible. People don't hear about him very often. He's something of a hermit. The surroundings indicate that. Joshua! Joshua, where are you? Who's that? Why, why that's Mrs. Hernley. Come out in the hall and keep her out of here. Dr. Walters, I thought... What's the matter? Is something wrong? There's been an accident. Shut up. You're Mrs. Hernley? Why, yes. Who are you? Runyon. Brad Runyon. Your husband sent for a detective. Sent for a detective? What in the world does Joshua want with a detective? Now, would you mind coming downstairs for a moment, Mrs. Hernley? Of course not, but where's my husband? I'll get it. Well? Pardon me, eh? Is this Joshua Hernley's house? Yeah, what do you want? Where's Mr. Hernley? Who are you? Thompson, the undertaker. I got a call to pick up Hernley's body. Police headquarters, Lieutenant McKenzie. Mark, this is Brad. Have you identified those two bodies yet? Brad, this is the craziest case I've ever been on. One body is Linkman, all right. He was just a two-bed gunman, and unless he was trying to rob Harnley's house, I can't tell about what he was doing there. What about the other body? Well, it was Linkman's gun that killed him, all right, but we haven't been able to find out who he was. The only sure thing is that he was loaded with liquor. That doesn't help much. Brad, where is this guy, Harnley? I want to know that even more than you do, Mac. I have a stake in him. He's a client of mine. Uh, I might have known. Well, I'm holding Mrs. Harnley, Dr. Walters, and the undertaker, Thompson, for questioning. So far, they've all got perfect alibis. That's the trouble. They're too perfect. And another thing, Brad, I'll have to question you. After all, you found the body of the unidentified guy in Hernley's room. I was afraid you'd think of that, Mac. Okay, I'll be down to see you. But first, I want you to do me a favor. You can let Mrs. Hernley and Dr. Walters go if you want to, but hold Thompson until I get there. Well, hurry it up, Brad. I'll be there. But first, I want to pay a visit to Thompson's undertaking parlor. boss. Mr. Thompson? He's not in. Can I help you? I'm his assistant. Uh, no, it's not important. He should be back any minute. Uh, will you wait for him? No, thanks anyway. I guess he's out of the Hernley's house. Hernley? What Hernley? Uh, Joshua Hernley died this morning. Didn't you get a call to pick up his body? Why, no. You're sure? Yes, sir. As Mr. Thompson's assistant, I would have known about it. Nobody called all morning. Well, I couldn't hold Thompson any longer, Brad. We got nothing on him. 
For that matter, we got nothing on anybody. I don't like to admit it, but it looks as if somebody pulled off the perfect crime. Maybe, Mac. That's more than maybe. First, the undertaker shows up to collect a body that wasn't there, and now Hernley's gone. You haven't been able to find him, huh? I got men out searching for him, but there's not a trace of the guy so far. I had an idea you wouldn't find Hernley. That's why I wanted you to hold Thompson. And now there's another reason. Another reason? I talked to Thompson's assistant at the undertaking parlor. Did you find out who called Thompson to pick up Turnley's body? That's just it. Nobody called Thompson. According to the assistant, nobody called all morning. Mac, we've got to get hold of Thompson fast. Call the undertaking parlor and see if he's there. Okay, Brad. Give me Thompson's funeral parlor right away. Brad, I don't see where Thompson fits into the picture. I don't see either yet. You see, Mac... Hold it. Listen, this is Lieutenant McKenzie, police headquarters. Is Mr. Thompson there? Why, no, sir. He just left a few minutes ago. Did he say where he was going? Why, yes, sir. He went home to pack. He's leaving town on the six o'clock plane. Thompson's place. Yeah. A gloomy looking house. Right in character for an undertaker. Come on. Mm. Quiet neighborhood, isn't it? Yeah. I hope that assistant didn't give us a wrong steer. We'll soon find out. Looks like nobody's home. Come on, let's try the window. There's no need to exert yourselves, gentlemen. The door to my house is always open. Come in. Thanks, Thompson. I don't want to appear inhospitable, but to put it plainly, I'm a busy man. I tried to help all I could when I answered your questions at police headquarters, but you must realize that I have other things to do. Simmer down, Thompson. Since Lieutenant McKenzie last spoke with you, a few questions have come up that need answering. And we believe you can help us fill in the blanks. But I gave all the information I had. Besides, I'm... Yeah, I know. You're a busy man. Tell me, does your business often take you out of town? Occasionally. Is this an occasion? I don't understand. Let's not be coy, Thompson. We called your assistant a while ago, and he said you were leaving town on the six o'clock plane. <laughs> is that what all the mystery is about? <laughs> yeah, and I hope your answer is just as funny. <laughs> it is, I assure you, gentlemen. Here, read this telegram. Huh? Hmm. Looking forward to seeing you at Jubilee Reunion of Class of 1912. Stop. Reunion costume for class will be white beard jacket and white shorts. Signed, George Baker, secretary. Well, what do you think of that, Brad? A college reunion. Yeah, well, his answer was funny. I don't think, though, Thompson, that you'll be able to wear that beard jacket. You'd better stay in town until the Hernley case is cleared up. It seems to me that as far as I'm concerned, it is cleared up. Not quite. You said that you received a call to pick up Hernley's body this morning. That's right. When I questioned your assistant, he told me nobody phoned all day. He said nobody phoned? Oh, that's not true. He must have been up when that call came. You mean to say there was a call? Somebody did phone you to collect Hernley's body? Why, certainly. It was this morning around 10 o'clock. 
Okay, Thompson, spill it. Who called? It was Mrs. Henley. I'd like to talk to Mrs. Hernley. Is she at home? Well, yes, but she's not feeling very well. What's the matter with her? Well, the murder this morning has put her nerves on edge. I'm afraid that... It's all right, Doctor. Won't you come in, Mr. Runyon? Thanks. What can I do for you, Mr. Runyon? You're in trouble, Mrs. Hernley. Real trouble. I don't understand. Thompson, the undertaker, told me who called him to pick up your husband's body. You did, Mrs. Hernley. What does this mean, Paul? You it's said not that... true. He's lying. Yeah? Then you tell me where she was at 10 this morning when the call was made. In my office. Your yeah. office? What was she doing there? You were here in her house. Mrs. Hernley had an appointment with me. She waited. When I didn't show up, she went home. You can check with my secretary. She'll tell you. Okay, she had an appointment with you. But you didn't keep it. Why? I tried to, but I stopped off here at the Hernley's house on my way to the office. I thought I'd just drop in and see how Mr. Hernley was getting along. He'd been ill. And when I arrived... Linkman was shooting at him. Nice timing. What are you getting at? Listen, Walters. You didn't kill Linkman in self-defense. Of course it was self-defense. He pulled a gun on me. He didn't pull any gun, remember? His gun was still in its holster when I examined the body. Let me have a double report on it as soon as you can. Right. Goodbye. Hey, Brad, I got a lead on that body we found in Hurley's room. The guy Linkman killed. Who was he? Well, that's the funny part. Just a tramp. An old panhandler named Simmons. Always hung around the Oakland bar. I wonder what he was doing in Hurley's house. That's what we've got to find out, Mac. But the only guy who can tell us is missing, Hurley. I think I know how we can find him. Well, how? I got to drag that out for him already. Don't hunt for him. Make him come to us. And how are we going to do that? Set a trap. But we got nothing on him. That's where you're wrong. Listen, Mac. I want you to give a story to the newspapers. Tell them Hernley was found dead this morning, a suicide victim. Suicide? But we didn't even find Hernley's body. That's the idea. When Hernley reads the paper, he'll wonder what's up. So what does that do? Plenty. What happens when someone dies? They bury him. Yeah. And if he's got dough, they liquidate his estate. I know that. And so does Hernley. If he wants to protect his money, he'll have to show himself. Otherwise, he'll be left without a dime, if he's alive. Yeah, but won't he think it's kind of funny that Walters and Mrs. Hernley didn't tell the police they made a mistake, that the body isn't really Hernley at all? Why should they? If the bank thinks Hernley's dead, his wife will collect, won't she? Why should she talk? If she keeps quiet, she stands to make a fortune. Hey, that's right. You know, Mac, people have various motives for murder. Love, hate, jealousy, revenge. And sometimes there's another one more dangerous than the others. Money. Money. <laughs> 
feet, fat man. There. What up? You up. Thanks. Fits the spot in a hot day, don't it? Yeah. It's pretty warm outside. You've been working here long? Sure thing. Been at the Oakland Cafe ever since it opened. Must be three, maybe four years. No, a friend of mine, Simmons, he sometimes comes in here. Simmons? That old tramp. What are you doing pulling around with a deadbeat like that? Did me a couple of favors once. Haven't seen him lately. Has he been in? Well, he was here, uh, let me see now. Yes, must have been yesterday. Came in for a drink, uh, just about eight. Alone? Yeah, yeah, that was the trouble. What do you mean? What trouble? No dough, broke. Always coming that way. I didn't want to serve him. But then this guy says... What guy? Well, the guy that paid for the drinks. I was going to toss Simmons out when this character says, he'll take care of the check. The drinks are on him. Then what? Simmons kept knocking it off. And the guy paid, just like I said. Only I guess Simmons had one too many, because he almost passed out. Yeah? What did you do? I told the guy to take his body home. He says, that's a good idea. Let's go to my place. And they left together? Yeah. <laughs> Simmons just about made it. You don't happen to remember what this guy's name was, do you? The one who paid for the drinks? I think I remember it. I think he said his name was Hernley. Won't you sit down, Mr. Runyon? Thank you. The terrible thing about Mr. Hernley's suicide, he was one of this bank's largest depositors. Yeah, I suppose you'll have a lot of work to do now. Uh, how do you mean? Well, the estate, will, things like that. You are the executors, aren't you? Why, yes. Mr. Hernley empowered our bank to administer his interests in case of death. We even helped him make his will. You just said Hernley was a very wealthy man. I suppose he'd have had a lot of bonds, papers, and so forth that would have to be cleared up? He would have had... What do you mean? Well, strangely enough, only day before yesterday, he liquidated all his holdings. Asked us to give him cash for everything. And he withdrew his money? Closed all his accounts? Yes. I, uh, I haven't any idea why. Was Mrs. Hernley the beneficiary named in his will? Yes, she came into the bank this morning. When I told her that her husband had withdrawn all his money, she collapsed. <laughs> Yes? Uh, Mr. Runyon, I'm Kenneth Sherwood. Uh, I must talk to you. All right, sit down. Thanks. What did you want to see me about? About Joshua Hernley. You know him? Yes, he, he was a good friend of mine. I read in the papers about his death. That's why I came to you. Mr. Runyon, Hernley did not commit suicide. He was murdered. The police think it was suicide? Nonsense. The police are making a big mistake. I knew Hernley. He wasn't the type. It was murder. Okay, murder. Who did it? Well, he was a wealthy man. A lot of wealthy men have enemies. People who are after their money. Do you know anybody who was after Hernley's money? Yes. Uh, his doctor. A man named Walters and Hernley's wife. They were plotting against him. They killed him. How do you know all this, Mr. Sherwood? Hernley himself told me just a few days ago. What did he tell you? That Walters was going to hire a gunman to kill him. Walters even planned an alibi. He planned to kill the gunman so that it would look like he was trying to save Hernley's life. Then he and Mrs. Hernley were going to share Hernley's money. I see. 
Well, what do you want me to do? Investigate the circumstances of his death. You can prove they did it. Maybe. Where can I reach you, Mr. Sherwood? Why, I, I have no phone in my apartment, Mr. Runyon. Uh, so uh, I'd better keep in touch with you. Okay. Oh, by the way, my fee will be $500. 500 uh, Very well. I'll send you the cash. Runyon speaking. Hey, Brad, this is Mac. Did you get a lead on Hurley out of that suicide story I planted? Well, the minute the story broke, Mrs. Hurley went to the bank to collect his money, but it was gone. Gone? Yeah. It seems Hurley withdrew his entire account two days ago. Hey, I don't get it, Brad. Where does that leave us? I'm not sure, but it begins to look as if we're up against not one, but two setups for the perfect crime. Yeah, and a slip-up now may let one of them get away with it. Exactly. I want to see Dr. Walters again. Go on over to his office and pick him up. If he isn't there, meet me at Hernley's house. I'm going out there now to see Mrs. Hernley. I have a hunch that right now another perfect murder is being planned. And I have no desire to be the victim. Mr. Runyon, what was the meaning of that story in the papers? My husband didn't commit suicide. I know that. Mind if I come in? Thanks. Well, then why did you let them print it? I told them to print it. Oh, hello, Dr. Walters. I thought you might be here. Runyon, I'm getting tired of your frequent visits. All right, Walters, you can quit acting now. The show's over. What? What are you driving at? You and Mrs. Hernley had a neat little scheme, didn't you? The perfect murder. Murder? You're crazy. Am I? You hired Linkman to kill Hernley, and then you knocked off Linkman. That was your cover. You can plead self-defense. Unfortunately, something went wrong. The guy your gunman killed wasn't Hernley, and now you're stuck. What? What do you mean? I mean you're not going to get Hernley's money. The bank has already paid it out. Helen, I knew it. You crossed me. You got it. Shut up. I haven't got anything. I told you the bank... Yeah, the bank paid off all right, but not to you. This is going to be a shock, Walters. Hernley got it. Hernley? Yeah. He's got the money and you've got nothing. Except a murder charge. You can't pin a murder on me. You're bluffing. Am I? How can you plead self-defense when the man you killed didn't pull his gun on you? You had it all planned, Walters, even Thompson, the undertaker. Thompson? You bribed him to haul off Hernley's body. Then you figured on filling out a regular death certificate, didn't you? Saying Hernley died of natural causes. That would be the end of it. You'd split the dough with Mrs. Hernley. But when Hernley substituted the tramp for himself, you had to change your plans. Don't move, or I'll kill you. You too, Helen. Put down that gun, Walters. You can't get away with it. Can I? I'll take my chances. Don't move or I'll shoot. Paul! Let him go, Mrs. Hernley. Hey, Brad. Brad, are you all right? Yeah, I'm all right, Mac. I was beginning to wonder if you'd get here. Did you get Walters? Yeah, somebody else beat us to it. Somebody else? Who? I don't know. One of my men is holding him. We grabbed him just after he shot Walters. Let's go. There's the guy. Hello, Runyon. Hello, Hernley. Hernley? Yeah. He tried to hire me under the name of Sherwood. He's the guy who got the old tramp drunk, brought him home and left him sprawled in a chair knowing that he was going to be killed by Walter's gunman. But our planted story about a suicide worked. 
He thought Walters was going to get away with it, so he killed Walters himself. That's not true. Come on, Hernley. Where you're going, you won't need you, your you money. You stop that. You hey, that reminds me, Mac. He still owes me 500 bucks. my life in getting into trouble and getting out of it. But at the same time, I generally manage to get some other people in and out of trouble, too. Be seeing you again. So long. Welcome back. Well, that end scene is why I really think that the detectives who uh, request a retainer in advance are probably the smartest uh, private detectives in old-time radio. If you involve yourself in one of these very dicey situations where you could lose life or limb and you don't even have a retainer, you're kind of asking for it. I.e. to walk away with your life, but nothing for all your time and trouble. This uh, mystery was convoluted, but I thought it was a lot of fun. A great twist, and you had all of these uh, characters all with all of these horrible motives that uh, plays out and makes for an interesting case. All right, some listener comments and feedback now. We start with this uh, actual letter received from Elizabeth. And uh, Elizabeth uh, writes in, I discovered your podcast several years ago when I was searching for some Sherlock Holmes mysteries, and I've been a happy listener since. You've opened a new world uh, to me, one that I really enjoyed. It helps to have a sense of humor as a 21st uh, century woman listening to some of these scripts from the golden years, but they are an interesting window into the times. I love the mystery format and really enjoy the shows in your commentary. I've always admired your ability to use the tools of the internet in so many creative ways. Your books, your videos, your podcasts are a wonderful resource and a testament to your technical expertise, your knowledge of the genre, and your dedication. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the comment, uh, Elizabeth. And I do agree that having a sense of humor or just uh, being able to deal with the times in which the uh, programs were produced is really key to being able to enjoy the uh, programs. Even if you can see some areas where they didn't quite have things right, particularly from a modern perspective. She goes on and says, uh, I'm sure you already know that the American radio archives are moving from the Thousand Oaks Library up to uh, the University of California Santa Barbara Library, but I thought you might enjoy seeing how our local paper uh, the Ventura County uh, Star splashed it all over the front page on January 4th. And I'm looking at it. It's actually a really uh, nice uh, 
picture on the front page of a bunch of the, looks like records, transcription discs, uh, boxes of memorabilia, and all heading out to Santa Barbara. So if you're interested in this subject and you want to learn more about radio and uh, take a look and you are in California or traveling there, this would be a nice thing to check out. I have heard from some who did use the Thousand Oaks Library that that was maybe not as easy to access or as convenient. I would imagine at a uh, university in the University of California system that it's probably going to have a, a lot more ability to uh, access. So that is definitely some uh, exciting news. And thanks so much for sending along the article, Elizabeth. And thanks also for supporting the show in a separate uh, PayPal uh, donation. Now, with us done with Under Arrest, we're going to read those comments about that series pretty much on any episode we get the opportunity. And we start with a comment from uh, David uh, regarding the uh, episode Evil Witness. The last couple of episodes of the series have been really standard plots. Murder at a seance, innocent death row inmate with only hours to live... But both have just been fantastic examples of those tropes. I wasn't expecting much of the series when you first started playing it, but it turned out surprisingly good. Well, thank you so much for the comment, David, uh, and I do appreciate it. I have to admit, when we when we got into uh, Under Arrest, because it'd been like a year or so since I'd listened to the series, and we played that first episode, and I was like, okay, what exactly was I thinking in playing this? Uh, but then I, you know, got into some of the other... I I'm sure it has to get better, you know, I told myself. I hope it gets better. Uh, and indeed it did. And uh, you're right that uh, they did really good jobs with pretty standard stories. And the thing is that if you do listen to, you know, these detective programs, there are a lot of, you know, similar plots. There's, you know, the fixed boxing match. Um, there's blackmail. And there's uh, people, you know, trying to murder their spouse for either jealousy or because they've got someone on the side. But uh, the shows that are really enjoyable manage to do something special uh, with those plots, either in the characterization or the acting or just these little tiny uh, twists that work in. And I think Under Arrest definitely did a good job. It's a series that I am really sorry that we don't have more of and really would love to hear uh, additional episodes if those ever come into circulation. And then we have a comment on YouTube from Sysoft, uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, regarding the episode Paris Road. Good story and acting, but nobody with a voice as distinctive as Ralph Bell's should try to make anonymous phone calls in the commission of a crime. That is definitely true. Uh, and it is one of those things when you have an actor with one of those really uh, distinctive voices. And we had it uh, recently on an episode of The Man Called X where you had Alan Reed making this call. And not only uh, should their voice be recognized, but it kind of spoils these, uh, the mystery because... You're like, okay, that's Alan Reed. And then you hear a character played by Alan Reed, and 
you're thinking, okay, so that is who did it. You almost feel like they should have uh, uh, muffled it a bit more. And I do wonder if maybe when people had lower quality, you know, recordings, you know, like a generation or two, uh, before on the internet, if it might have been more of a mystery because they couldn't quite hear the clarity of the voice. But once you're able to hear the clarity of the voice, it becomes obvious, you know, who it is. So if you were getting a good signal and uh, you knew your radio actors back in the day, you probably may have had that trouble uh, in knowing uh, who it was and having the mystery spoiled by the voice on the phone, which is so obvious who it is. All right, well, I want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Tim, Patreon supporter since August, currently supporting us at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. And that will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow for The Man Called X. Next Saturday, we're returning to indictment with a previously uncirculated episode. And then join us back here next Tuesday, another episode of The Fat Man. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.